0: Who will be between the pipes in Chicago next season? That is the biggest question right now in the Windy City as it relates to the Blackhawks. Two time, Stanley Cup champion netminder Corey Crawford needs a new contract. So does the backup, in fact. The belief that Chicago and Crawford would work out a hometown discount is where things at the moment have stalled. There are a lot of free agent goalies, a lot of teams looking to make changes to their goaltender, trade talks, and there is a flat cap. There's only one Central Division team that actually has no goalies under contract for the upcoming season. There is a lot more, but the goal of stopping the other team scoring is the obvious big topic and starting point in Chicago. <coughs> to Central Division Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. As part of our coverage of the Central Division, I have put together team-focused 2020 NHL draft and free agency podcasts for all of the teams, and as well included the Arizona Coyotes as they will join the Central Division when the Seattle Kraken expansion team begins play in the NHL just a season removed from the upcoming one. This podcast is dedicated to the Chicago Blackhawks. How I decided to select the podcast order was to go from the team with the highest pick in this year's draft among the Central Division teams to the lowest. That seemed pretty straightforward. Why, Chicago with the 17th pick follows Nashville with the 11th, Winnipeg with the 10th, and Minnesota, who has the ninth pick. Again, this podcast doubles as both a look at the 2020 draft, but also a team's free agents and positionally where they might want to strengthen on the depth chart. Within days of the draft, the first round, October 6th, free agency will open at noon Eastern Standard Time, October 9th. The expanded playoff format In the return to play, allowed Chicago, who was a seller at the NHL trade deadline, to sneak into the postseason, play-in as a 12th seed team. They then proceeded to knock off Edmonton in the play-in round with the help of excellent goaltending by now unrestricted free agent netminder Corey Crawford. His contract, or whomever is playing net for Chicago next year, looms large on what chicago needs to do to be cap compliant that is going to require gm stan bowman to have to make a lot of tough decisions the other notable restricted free agent is rookie of the year nominee Dominique kubalik and his qualifying offer has to be decent so one he doesn't hold out or two take an offer sheet from another team that has cap space available that could price him out of staying with the Hawks. In knocking off Edmonton, yet falling in the first round to cup contender Vegas, three teams with better regular season records in the Central Division at the stoppage than Chicago end up selecting in the 2020 draft before the Hawks do. But the extra round of playoff experience for the younger core players on the Hawks over potentially picking seven spots higher in the draft probably was a good trade off for the team experience. To this point of doing each of the Central Division team draft free agency podcasts, I don't think I was as frustrated by mapping out a path forward as I was doing this one for Chicago. Well, I will say that prior to the pair of trades by Minnesota GM Bill Darin, maybe this one was a complete look without having a revolving depth chart that felt like a construction zone like the Minnesota one did. It still was a challenge, and I can appreciate why GM Stan Bowman is under fire in the wind city, there's a lot to like with the group of veterans on this team and a few of the new talents injected as well. But is there a way to keep this team together? Thus, the two options are to make a model of going into a major rebuild, and at many times I felt like that would have been the easier thing to do, or trying to keep the core together. And find solutions. Indication is ownership and GM Stan Bowman will do the latter. So that's what I present here. How it compares to what GM Stan Bowman does has yet to be seen. Now, the Hawks have the 17th pick in the first round in what is considered a deep draft year. They have a total of seven picks for 2020, bolstered by a second round pick, the Pittsburgh and two third round picks, one via Calgary, in addition to their own pick in that round. They only don't draft in the last round. Four picks in the first three rounds means they are going to have the opportunity to draft some quality level prospects. They have, as of now, seven picks both for 2021, missing a third rounder, but having two seven rounders and they have all their picks for 2022. This year's draft is considered, again, fairly deep, so there's a great opportunity for a team that continually excels at making quality picks at the draft. GM Stan Bowman has great veterans, including cup winners, the big three, Keith, Kane, and Taves, from the Hawks, three wins that feel years ago now as they are. He also has a handful of dynamic young players in the mix in the lineup now. And again, he is nearly capped out. And most would expect this team will be needing to shed salary and make tough personnel decisions. That looks going into next year like it, one, won't be able to add anyone to make it more competitive, which the media market in Chicago notes, and two, will in fact have to take a step. Towards being younger and potentially less likely to be as competitive unless younger players exceed expectations next season. To say GM Stan Bowman isn't popular with the media and fans in Chicago right now would be accurate. Yet, like GM David Poyle in Nashville, who clearly has a less knowledgeable fan base and media by comparison to Chicago, one thing is similar. The GM bears the responsibility for the shape of the roster, and limited to no cap space both those teams faced this offseason while trying to improve their team. The reality is, this team, even with the postseason success last year, wouldn't have been a playoff team in the traditional NHL playoff structure, and were competitive, but behind all all of their divisional rivals at the regular season stoppage and that wasn't lost and didn't endear jim's own job evaluation to his critics this offseason most hold him responsible in his defense he has been able to keep the stanley cup champion core together and found ways to retool many times there has to be some credit on his ability to have done it to provide the third cup win and it does demonstrate he knows how to retool it going with a new gm or a full-on rebuild doesn't automatically mean the hawks would have a quick turnaround to being a cup contender again and the playing value of the big three and additionally as we talk more about this of including Corey Crawford, still has value that attempts at a retool, to me, can be justified rather than starting a full-on rebuild Does It is the more difficult of the two paths, to be sure, as you will find out as this podcast continues. I haven't come up with buyouts for Chicago. In fact, I've yet to, in any of these draft free agency podcasts, heading into the halfway point of them being completed. Suggested any of the four teams so far to do a buyout. I don't think that provides any relief. I do not think what I have modeled will make Hawks fans want me to be the GM either. However, I hope this podcast full of how difficult fitting everyone in is actually a reality check to mirror more closely the path Chicago actually has to take. I'm trading off salary and if the return is a seventh-rounder well so be it this was by no means fun this team structure is a mess and technically over the cap by long-term injury reserve defenseman brent seabrook and forward andrew shaw's contract word is They're both planning to come back and play. So the path forward really needs not to pretend they are staying on long-term injury reserve for the rest of their respective contract. So I also didn't model it doing that either. The layout is to look at the team positionally, starting with the goaltending. It works especially nice when this is the hot topic in Chicago, but it isn't the reason I started in net. All of them do. I just personally feel that a team needs outstanding, dare we say, Corey Crawford-level goaltending to win the Stanley Cup. Yes, you need other pieces at defense and forward, but the goaltending is essential to NHL championship teams. You don't win the Stanley Cup without it. After the goaltending, we will look at the defense and then the forward group. As well, I'm going to make a prediction for who the Blackhawks pick at the 17th spot in this year's draft so looking at this team roster by position on the depth charts starting with the goaltending starting at this position is valuable because what the Blackhawks do here is ultimately going to set the tone for this offseason the number one talking point is re-signing Corey Crawford and the cost in term to make that deal happen As of right now, Bull Crawford, 35 years of age, is an unrestricted free agent, and backup Malcolm Subin, 26, who came over in the Robin Leonard trade to Vegas last year's trade deadline, is a restricted free agent. So having an NHL goaltender under contract is the most pressing priority for Chicago this offseason, heading into next year. Given that Chicago only has approximately $7.4 million in projected cap space for this upcoming season and notable restricted free agents at other positions, the word out of Chicago from just about every one of the media sources covering this team in the market is that Priority One will be signing Crawford. Given his performance in the return-to-play playoffs, both against Edmonton in the play-in series, a series Chicago won, and also in the first round versus Vegas, it absolutely makes sense to bring him back. Crawford is coming off a regular season where he posted at 2.77 goals against average and a .917 save percentage, and that was splitting duties to begin the year with Robin Leonard. Those numbers during the playoffs went down in nine games played in the postseason. He finished with a 3.31 goals against average and a .907 save percentage. But to be clear, he was Chicago's best player in both rounds. He was the key to winning over Edmonton, and he kept Chicago in a series with a fairly stacked Vegas roster most had predicted, would make the cup finals this year if not win the stanley cup entirely having looked at all the teams in the central division to prepare podcasts for each team and every one of them having a starting goalie locked up if not two no team is under four million right now in spending on their goaltending in the division i also continually hear more often nhl coaches and gms talk about how this is becoming a two goalie league in order to win in yet a few teams do still, such as this year's Stanley Cup Tampa Bay Lightning, prove you can win with one very elite goalie, provided he stays healthy. However, I do concur the two goalies setup for most teams unless you have a goalie that continually is in the Vesna Trophy conversation or winning the Vesna Trophy, so most teams require two and the Crawford Leonard combination provided that last season at the start and yet Chicago by the NHL trade deadline was on the outer perimeter of the playoff picture and also not knowing of a once in a lifetime expanded playoff format dealt away Leonard who was an unrestricted free agent again this summer until he was re-signed by Vegas. I believe on the low end, anything under $6 million for your goalie tandem, as far as your cap space, is probably going to end up meaning going with a less experienced backup or not anticipating being a team that should expect to be playoff bound. What I am anticipating, the trend for cap space teams afford their goalie duels is actually going to increase why montreal for example picked up st louis jake allen and his 4.35 million contract to play behind Terry price at 10.5 million. that means the canadians will spend 14.85 million on their goalies by the way i don't even hate this i actually think this is where this trend is going within the national hockey league the next team i believe that goes this route will be vegas with lenner and flurry flurry seven million with lenner making no less than five million per on a long-term deal would put them at 12 million minimal and lenner could even ask to be paid on par with flurry adding two million more keep in mind that Signing of Leonard just happened after the last edit of this podcast. Before recording it, we can confirm now that Leonard's deal is five million for five years. Remember, Chicago's Crawford Leonard combo was a combined eleven million last year. However, that's the AAV of the two combined. It was actually ten million as Crawford's AAV was more than his actual salary in the final year. And we should also mention Vegas would have paid a portion of Leonard's salary after the trade to lower Chicago's actual goalie costs more. Therefore, let's say for a quality pair of goalies, the magic number probably should be nine million in combined for your cap space. If they are on reasonably team-friendly deals. And if you think I just pulled that number out of thin air, you're wrong. Here are some comparable team goaltending costs. The first using the tandem of Arizona's duo of Darcy Kemper and Anthony Renta, who combined, made, and if they were to both remain with the Coyotes this upcoming season, $8.75 million as a duo. St. Louis had they kept Allen with Bennington, would have been at eight point seven five million as well now take Vesna trophy winner Connor Hellebuck at six point one million per and his backup brassois at one point five million, and that's low at seven point six million. However, Winnipeg is primarily using Hellebuck. A more costly backup easily gets them to the nine million mark as well. The teams, it seems, that spend even less aren't really in the Cup contender conversation. Minnesota, 5.1 million spent, nor Nashville, even at 6.5 million for next season, make me question if they have adequate goaltending. Now we can talk about the Chicago netminders. With this real understanding, I say that because Lazen Powers, for those similar with some of the Chicago sports media that covers the Blackhawks locally, were of the opinion that it might be possible to have Crawford on a hometown discount deal two years in the three to three point five million per that's half of the six million contract that he just finished. Now, I will say Philip Grubauer, who is at $3.3 million per in Colorado, who with backup Grand coming come in at $5.3 million combined on their cost of goaltending, most value-added cost-wise duo in the division. Even with a postseason vote of confidence in his goaltending by GM Joe Sackick after being knocked out, by injuries to Dallas in the second round, where the Avs found themselves on their third string goalie. And you better believe there is still a lot of talk about upgrading the goaltending. In fact, more worrisome for Chicago fans to be the most recent 31 podcast this week, where Sportsnet insider Elliot Friedman said Colorado may have an interest in Corey Crawford. Don't be surprised if Chicago is looking at other available free agents to fill their goaltending needs if Colorado prices them out of returning to the Blackhawks. St. Louis, having shed backup Jake Allen's four point three five million, still have to pay Jordan Bennington four point four million and pay for a backup. Finally, where would Dallas be without backup Anton Hudobin? this playoffs when Ben Bishop went down. That combo was $7.4 million, but Hudobin is going to be making more than the $2.5 million he made last year. Honestly, I pegged the total keeping them together at more than $9 million, but no less now for next year. Even if the truth to the rumor that Crawford wanted or was willing to sign a team-friendly deal. I still believe that if it were to have been at half the value per year of his previous contract, that's wishful thinking. Keep in mind, again, Malcolm Subban is a restricted free agent as the backup. His numbers weren't great when playing what most thought with was a better team in front of him in Vegas. And I don't know how to quantify him backstopping the Chicago net because his numbers were primarily in games for Vegas. The cap crunch is so bad for the Chicago team this offseason. You realistically can't bring everyone back. And in fairness, you certainly won't have the ability to split Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford like Chicago did this past season before dealing Leonard at the deadline. And they had to do that. What Chicago fans are missing is that Crawford's play doesn't actually warrant such a steep pay cut, even on a hometown discount. I guess winning three Stanley Cups, a pair of them with Crawford in a decade, and remaining relatively competitive Not having to go into a full rebuild, as this market and media acting spoiled. I like the veteran pieces Chicago cap. Listening to the media and the market, it is kind of off-putting on the analysis now of where this team is at. To point on the goaltending term seems to be something Chicago's GM Stan Bowman is comfortable doing, and at that $3 million per figure currently making the rounds, well, that combined with a two-year short-term deal isn't happening. In fairness, if I'm going on that theory that it could be that low, then I expect a four- to five-year deal for Crawford would actually even be more years. And that does fall in organizationally with what Chicago has done in the past. Now, the other realistic possibility is if the term doesn't take Crawford to the age of 40 or over, he is 35 now, then his market value is more than a $3 million per, even on a discount. In fact, to imagine I were his agent, this is a contract structure I would present GM Stan Bowman with for Crawford. A one-year at $5 million, factoring in $1 million for a hometown discount, which would be comparable with the deal that Leonard just signed in Vegas. However, he is getting that on a term of five years by comparison. Four million for a two to three year term, three to five million for a four to five year term, it would have to be beyond a five-year term for Crawford to want to do a three million per truthfully, then I would hope Bowman does the two to three year deal, but Chicago will have to ante up four million. And that is still two-thirds of the money he just played for this past season. Meaning, the discount for coming back and a hometown discount is actually factored in to that deal. Now that we have what I believe is a realistic market value with a hometown discount for resigning Crawford, everything else in this podcast is working off of that $4 million two to three-year deal cost and Chicago's cap space. And on the open market, I think he would get $5 million per, or upwards, on a three-year deal. Secondly, and this really won't be affected by the $1 million Crawford gets or doesn't get, backup goalie Malcolm Subin won't receive a qualifying offer in my opinion from chicago making him an unrestricted free agent they may circle back once notable restricted free agents are signed under contract if he doesn't sign elsewhere the reason for doing this is to then re-sign him even after not qualifying him for a league minimal amount because well there is the other option of Colin Delia playing backup next year for the Blackhawks. He and Subban are both 26. Delia had respectable numbers in Rockford, and they still have quite a number of other goalies in their prospect system. For a team up against the cap, well, this makes sense. Delia is under contract for $1 million per for the next two years. That puts them at $5 million on the goaltenders if Crawford was signed for $4 million over the next few years. Realistically, in today's NHL, you can't do it for less. By the way, that would come in as the lowest total goaltender cost for any Central Division team for next season and would be keeping a two-time Stanley Cup winning netminder on the team. The closest in Minnesota is currently 5.1 million. But there are talks they may trade or buy out Devin Dubnik. The trade most recently was suggested to be with San Jose. And how much will be spent to replace him? So the total cost after a trade and or buyout if there's no trade and signing a new goalie would still be more for Minnesota. I should also add backup Alex Stalak doesn't make even a million per. In fact, for an actual playing goaltender, few, if any, make less money than he does in the league right now. However, the goaltending is not considered to have been good this past season. You get what you pay for more often than not. Now, As we have started with the goaltenders in all these draft free agency team podcasts, and some Chicago fans will already not like my goalie assessment cost moving forward for this team, respectfully allow me to also go through the defense and forward situations that are absolutely why the Chicago media is unrealistically lowballing Crawford's next contract and I believe giving false hope to fans on that front. In fact, it almost makes me feel like this is a narrative so they can turn around and say GM Stan Bowman paid too much when Crawford easily could get $5 million per plus playing somewhere else. They have set up Bowman to look bad no matter what he does. I think the best course of action is to find a way to re-sign Crawford and then have Colin Delia, 26, be the backup. Otherwise, then you have to find value with a different unrestricted free agent goalie, and that would occur after the most sought-after starting goalies are plucked up by teams that can price them out of Chicago's cap room, or or to Chicago to make a trade costing them team assets to get a goalie under contract that you have cost certainty with. I'm not going to suggest trades. I just want to bring up an example like trading Antiranta from Arizona would still mean paying $4.25 million on your goalie. Wouldn't re-signing Crawford be the better course of action? Again, longer term to get the base salary down is how you do it. Still, I want a three-year term, but I'm aware that ups the base salary per year as well. The depth chart in Chicago has goalies, but none would be vying for a starting job with a capable NHL goalie. And... I think Malcolm Subban is going to cost more than calling Delia, so I would expect Subban not to receive a qualifying offer and Delia to be next year's backup. Finally, in the Minnesota podcast, while noting potential upgrades for them, I even put Crawford with Brayden Holt in Washington, Leonard now re-signed in Vegas, and Matt Murray as all more costly upgrades. I also factored in the playoffs and added three more, Jacob Markstrom from Vancouver, Thomas Grice with the New York Islanders, and Anton Hudobin, especially because of his performance with Dallas, as guys who should receive big Offers. Therefore, that left the list of more fiscally responsible goalies at three that are unrestricted free agents that would interest me. We have to remove Brian Elliott, I realize, off this list, as the same day Leonard signed in Vegas, Elliott has signed with Philadelphia. Therefore, Aaron Dell in San Jose and vet Ryan Miller. Dell, of course, won't be having work if, in fact, San Jose goes, gets Doomnik. And then, of course, Ryan Miller and Anaheim. Those would be an upgrade for Minnesota, I think. I wouldn't go so far as to say the same when Crawford is among the four to seven, I feel, available that are upgrades. That's why you want to keep him. And keeping him is the best course of action. But it's not costing the Chicago Blackhawks $3 million unless you're paying him into his 40s for an extra, say, three years. This was the first point while well, putting this together. I wasn't sure it wouldn't be easier just talking about blowing up the board and recommending a full-on team rebuild. For the purposes of this podcast, that sound effect is for when I just wanted to go the rebuild route and just blow this team right up. The defense is a huge issue as it relates to the cap space. Firstly, Brent Seabrook and his $6.87 million per are listed on the long-term injury reserve list, and word is he is planning on playing again. Now, I don't have any issue with Brent Seabrook, and if he were to return to play and to form health-wise, that would be like adding a veteran presence. His drop-in-play is what the focus in the market and the term remaining on his current contract obviously frustrates media and fans in the Chicago market. So we could do a model that has Seabrook left on long-term injured reserve, but it's better to factor in his return. And again, this is because it's a situation that GM Stan Bowman has to be aware of. When looking at cap-friendly, the long-term injured reserve contracts are factored in to the available cap space. But bringing those players back, a team still needs the cap space to be compliant. Simply, there is a mill and change actual cop space for Chicago when Seabrook is back in the lineup. Moves have to be made because we have, in this model, signed a goalie as Chicago will have to. Now, what I've heard most out of Chicago is moving defenseman Oli Mata, who was one of the best defensemen for Chicago this postseason. I am going to say Duncan Keith was Chicago's best defenseman, and he is the cornerstone of the defense group, especially in the absence of Seabrook. So, Keith is staying. The buyout of Brent Seabrook also looks only to provide the team with $2.8 million over an eight-year time span of that buyout. In other words, I'm not having that conversation. I would consider revisiting this next year as the complex breakdown of Seabrook's contract makes me feel it might have value with two of the last three years favorable from a club perspective, and that would also give me a year evaluation on Seabrook's ability to return to play. Grading his contract at this time would be difficult also, so we're going to expect that that isn't a possibility. Chicago technically can't afford to keep his salary as it is now, but they would have to part with futures prospects for a team with cap space to make the deal to have them take Seabrook on. If you get the sense the team needs to take a step back to go forward, then you understand the complexity of the situation currently in Chicago. The figure that I'm using, then, is $27.8 million for the Chicago defense. The only way you can use the 21 mil if Seabrook stays on long-term injured reserve. You can't model the team going forward on that low number. Ideally. Seabrook needs to return and gain market value, and he can't while sitting on long-term injured reserve. He has four years left in his current deal. The first point, the discussion of having to move one defenseman, is flawed. The numbers still don't work because you have to free up cap space and account for Brent Seabrook's salary. It's twofold. Getting Seabrook's salary on the books but also still having cap space to sign your goaltender. So my model is going to recommend shedding two defense off this offseason. It has to be two of these three guys solely because of salary. Ole Mata, De DeHaan, and or Connor Murphy. I'm not sure why the youngest of those three at 26 Mata, who played the best of the defense group, not named Keith, is a guy whose name is talked about most. I suppose he would have the best trade value by comparison, but honestly, if I'm Stan Bowman, and I'm clearly not, I look at this defense group and I need to move Connor Murphy and Kelvin DeHaan in trades for prospects and picks to Whoever will offer the most for each guy. I would keep Mata of the three and only part with him if one of the other two can't be moved at all. That's not a best case scenario for Chicago. I need to get my defense in around $20 million all in with Seabrook playing no team can have five defensemen as it currently stands all paid north of 3.8 million per year that bottom pairing guy at least one of them has got to be at less cost 12 million is keith and seabrook right there you don't have to like it you can complain about it and that's gm sam bowman's contracts mine, but it still doesn't fix it the breakdown of dahan five million Mata $4 million and Murphy $3.85 million, all with two years remaining. To be clear, I have to trade Kelvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy and take no roster players with salary in return. Now, I am therefore keeping Keith, Seabrook, and Mata. Now, Chicago has one restricted free agent, Slater Cuckoo26, who also, in my opinion, had a better playoff than Murphy Endahan and should be able to be qualified, I'm hoping, in the 1 to 1.5 million per range. Guess what? That's Chicago's top four next year on defense. Let's put the decor now into points valuation. I watched all the postseason games, a lot of Chicago, during this regular season. So my decision isn't solely based on just the salaries of the guys. On left-handed D is Keith, your cornerstone. He had nine games played in the postseason, five assists. And Cuckoo, on that left-handed D, in the second pair guy, nine games played, one goal, two assists, three points. Right handed D, I'm putting Mata, who is in fact a left handed D shooter with nine games played, three goals, three assists, and six points, with Keith on the top pair on his off wing. Seabrook off of IR then would slot into the second pair with Cuckoo, thus separating by veterans, but also sheltering Seabrook upon his return from top line minutes. Without Seabrook's return, I would then factor in that Adam Boquist on the right-hand D would have to move into the top four. He still is on his entry-level contract and will, I believe in time, be a top-four guy. Ideally, he is playing on the bottom pair on the right-hand D, but if he were to help play Seabrook, I could have the ability to swap them as needed. Seabrook and Boquist Both really need to play to make this model work. For the right-hand D, Ian Mitchell and Alex Regula, then, would be the call-ups to play bottom pair minutes due to injury. However, there are three left-hand D, Lucas Carlson, Nicholas Bodine, and Nick Seeler. One of those three will start the year as the bottom pair left-hand D. But if two were to be better than Mitchell and Regula, I would probably just have one play on his off wing on the bottom pairing because it's limited minutes. Although having two on the off wing every night isn't an ideal formula for long-term success. But last year, Vegas found a way to make it work to get to the conference finals. Also, in the event Seabrook did end up getting hurt and was placed on long-term injured reserve, then at that point, you can go and make a trade for a top-four right-hand D with his salary available. Dahan only played 29 games during the regular season, and at $5 million, I can't pay to have two of my D group injured, and he is more than Seabrook, a tradable defenseman. Likewise, Murphy, who had four assists in the playoffs and who I would like to keep if Seabrook especially wasn't returning, is tradable and good value at $3.85 million. I think he would get a higher pick or a decent return being dealt for the same reason why I would have liked to have kept him. Now having moved to Hahn and Murphy, I will have shed eight point eight five million because then after signing Crawford and Cuckoo, I have spent five point five million of the seven point three million projected cap space that doesn't exist with a healthy Brent Seabrook. It's actually not even a half mil in cap space with Seabrook back. That $8.85 million actually is how Crawford and Cuckoo are back next year. And when we get to the forwards, you're going to understand the reason why we've still got to build cap space into this roster for next year. The bottom five, six pairings to go and return to the focus on the defense will have to be Blackhawk players on their entry-level contracts. Or, I guess, Sealer because his contract is low. Included in this list, again, is the two right-handed Ds, Adam Boquist, 20 years old, who played 41 games last year with Chicago at the NHL level. The right side, of course, Prospects, Ian Mitchell, 21, who was at U.S. College with Denver last year, and Alex Regula, 20, who had... Point-per-game production with London of the Ontario Hockey League. Those could be guys that potentially step up. Now, on left-hand D, Lucas Carlson, who played a game this postseason for the team and six games during the regular season. Nicholas Bodine, who spent the year with Rockford in the American Hockey League. And Nick Seeler, who was picked up off waivers from Minnesota, but makes under a million next year. Ideally, Sealer is a seventh guy, but two of those five that I've just finished talking about are regulars in the Chicago lineup on defense next year. It will be a step back defensively, but I haven't heard anything constructive that acknowledges Seabrook coming off a long-term injured reserve and being able for Chicago to be cap-compliant. I think it's better to share it's a pair of defenders that have to be moved. I suppose you could move one until Seabrook is officially ready to return to play. I just think it's prolonging the inevitable. At this rate, I'm sure no one wants me to replace GM Stan Bowman in Chicago, although Blackhawks fans need to get a handle on just how tough some of the decisions are going to be that come down. My rough estimate has me with 3.7 mil in cap space as we move to the forward group. Even moving to defensemen, I don't have enough for the group of restricted free agents left on the forward group. And I am aware of this, but I have at least addressed it with the acknowledgement of Brent Seabrook being on the books rather than having it look like it is now. As if he would never return. That was the second time during making this podcast. I was on board with going into complete rebuild mode with this team. At this point, Chicago fans don't want GM Stan Bowman. But if, for one thing, I've absolutely convinced you that you wouldn't want me to come and fix it in either. So, That might be good for Stan. Let's look at the forward group. Now, there is still another problem with the long-term injured reserve for the Chicago Blackhawks. At this point, one seriously wonders why not breaking up Taze or Kane and legitimately starting an actual full-on rebuild wouldn't be the best course of action for the Blackhawks. But I'm still going to try and solve this with the idea that maybe by the final year of the three, You could potentially be a buyer by the final year of the big three deals while having Crawford in net. This also explains why I want Crawford on a three, not two-year deal. What was also difficult to solve is getting Andrew Shaw off of long-term injury reserve as well, because that absolutely tosses my ability to be cap-compliant next season. I can't do a buyout because that affects the bottom line and I can't have Andrew Shaw return to the lineup and ECAP compliant. When I got to this point, I was extremely frustrated. I need to get Andrew Shaw into the playing lineup as well and that was 3.9 million I thought I was going to have for my restricted free agent forwards. I also realized I am not sure the Blackhawks aren't treading even to be just as comparable to how they were last year, because I'm not adding to the roster, in fact, shedding from the defense. Simply feeling, taking that small step back, hoping the young defense develops and the organization can find me a player in the draft that within a year or two actually helps this process. With the 17th pick in this year's draft. The details on Andrew Shaw, 29, he has two years at 3.9 per, and that if he is a viable option to play next year, the question was how to be workable to stay cap compliant and still retain the restricted free agents. One of the ways I feel they can is if the Hawks part with Brandon Sod. At this point, There can't be anyone in Chicago who likes me. However, as much as I'd rather move Shaw than try to have him play top six, for example, in Sod's place at right wing, if Shaw is going to be ready to play, I want to slot him into the bottom six forward group. And given the anticipated restricted free agents costs at forward, and their importance and really finding a workable way i came to realize i actually need to move saad regardless of andrew shaw playing remember i had 3.7 million and shaw's contract is 3.9 million shaw's returning to the lineup and i have no money for restricted free agents someone still has to move to sign the restricted free agents that's whether Shaw plays or not. Brandon Sod is probably the guy with one year left at $6 million that has to move on from Chicago. Yes, a 20-plus goal scorer, he will have a value in trade. And believe me, I don't want to take Sod off the Black Ops lineup. However, 25-year-old Rookie of the Year nominee, Dominique Kubelik, Just had a 30 goal season and is a restricted free agent, as is 23 year old center Dylan Strome and 26 year old right winger Drake Padula. And you won't sign one, let alone the three of them, with 3.7 or with a little over 7 mil if Shaw were to still be on the long term injured reserve. Now, keeping in mind, you have a top center, future Hall of Famer, Jonathan Taves, and first ballot Hall of Famer right winger, Patrick Dane at $10.5 million each, and I have no issue with them or their contracts. They are cup winners and still more than capable top six players. Kirby Doc at 19 is capable of playing in the top six next year. And pretty much under my model, we'll have to add 22 year old Alex to it. New Deal at $6.4 million kicks in. And along with the re signed Kubelik, those five players make five of six for a top six. Saud, of course, would ideally be the six, but he's also the guy of the six we just talked about. Chicago can't keep but for the Blackhawks to retain a 30 goal scorer they need more than a couple million dollars or quite honestly if the qualifying offer is so bad who is to say Dominic Kubalik doesn't hold out Chicago can't afford this nor another team giving him an offer sheet they can't afford to match I looked around the league at teams to find a possible top six guy to trade straight up for Brandon Sod for. While well, looking at Yo Armia in Montreal, who is a top nine guy, but I'm not sure a top six guy, I saw Philip Deneau, 27, a 2011 first rounder for, that's who, Chicago. He's a left shooting center that can play top six that also expressed not wanting to drop down the lineup in Montreal, which is something that occurred with the emergence of Jesperi Koscianemi for the Canadians. Now, I would keep Saad over Deneau in a one-for-one trade, with the exception that if each team retains the player-traded salary— God is valued more at six mil and Deneau at three mil, but I need Chicago to now have that three mil and Montreal to have that six mil, because that's going to give me an additional three million for my restricted free agents. And Deneau is going to make the top six. How so? Deneau can play center, but you can move. 19 year old Kirby Dock to right wing, either on the first line or second line where Sod would have been. And on my depth chart, Dock is the other six forward. Prior to the trade I'm proposing, I would have him at second center. Point is, I need a forward in the top six to replace the traded Sod, but I need his salary to be ideally half or less. This trade does that, and the more costly, better player goes to Montreal who can afford the extra three mil of the two comparable contracts. That trade or something comparable to that deal gives me six point seven. So I can do three point five four million two year bridge deal for Cuba League and use $1.5 to under $2 million to sign Dylan Strome, who would be my third line center playing between Ryan Carpenter and Alex Nylander. And for everything about Nylander's streaky play, he is still young, still has upside, and most importantly, is still on his entry-level contract, and quite honestly, that keeps him in the lineup. As he develops into a more consistent player, he will have more value. But it is also why I don't have him, or the expectation of him, playing in the top six next year. You would have David Kaff as the fourth-line center with Matthew Highmore, if you would like to say, Drake Kajula, but honestly, depending on the reality of the Kuba League, new deal and most 30 plus goal scores i think are getting upwards of five to seven mil per not the 4.5 mil bridge deal i'm trying to do let's be realistic and say especially because strome is a center and 23 and if denot struggled you could swap them between second and third lines if needed kajula may in fact be the odd man out as much as I would like to retain him. Keep in mind I also would have Andrew Shaw off long-term injured reserve. I'm not sure with my model I can give him a qualifying offer and by all means if anyone would like to come up with another model that's not altogether based on fantasy this is about as close to keeping as much together as well than putting John Quinville on right wing on the fourth line as one can get without just breaking up Caves, Kane, and Keith and doing a full-on rebuild. The team also has Zach Smith to find a spot on the fourth line, but they don't. Zach Smith actually needs to be traded for picks and prospects because he his salary is the one I'm using to get Shaw off a long-term injury reserve and have the money to sign Leak and Strome. If in trading Smith for picks and prospects or whatever you can get in return that is a non-roster player and moving sod, there is enough money to re-sign Kajula, I would explore that option. Especially if I've underpriced a bridge deal for Kubelik, however, it's probably not possible. Smith's $3.25 million is movable and is a necessity to get this in line. It's the actual only way I can be cap compliant and make this work. He is also like Saad, uh, unrestricted free agent after next season. The realization I am trading sod and solely to reduce salary, again, was the third time blowing all this up and doing a podcast on a rebuild for Chicago, came up again. All of this, admittedly, does not make the Hawks overall a better team, I wouldn't say, going into next season. however. I'm not sure it would make them overly worse, especially if the growth of young players Doc, Boquist, and Nylander actually don't all improve, and I would think they would continue to develop. In fact, moving Smith, if you can't sign Kajula, may in fact get Shaw off long-term injured reserve, but it's all really falls on Cooper League's deal being closer to $4 million, and how realistic is that? I'm not certain. Also unrealistic is to expect any of the AHL Rockford players to push substantially for roster spots. Even the ones given the opportunity last year, Dylan Sakira, Brandon Hegel, and John Quinville weren't point-per-game players with Rockford in the American Hockey Leagues. Sakira was the best at points per game. Dylan Sakura, 25, was traded to Vegas for a former Blackhawk, Brandon Peary, 29. In 16 games played with Vegas, Peary had two assists in 12 minutes 34 seconds of average ice time per game. For the Chicago Wolves in the American Hockey League, Vegas is team he had 35 points in 38 games played and that is better than a sakura's point per game total with rockford at a 0.92 it's almost a point per game peary has also played 275 games at the nhl level 72 goals 49 assists 121 points in his career he is also under contract for under one mil. Comparable to what a player on his entry level contract would cost. Usually, I'm of the opinion that guys at the American Hockey League level seem to have success at the NHL level when they are over a point per game production at the farm team level. So there are a lot of prospects in the Blackhawks system for the forwards but nothing from Rockford jumps off the page, and I still indicated John Quinville very well because of cap issues with Chicago could make the lineup for the opening night. Clearly, GM Stan Bowman was looking at his own depth chart and Peary rather than Sakura playing on the fourth line at the start of the next season because they need some guys playing on entry-level contracts or low-level contracts, besides Kirby Dock, is required. Now, this little insert was tweaking the original assessment, but as much as everyone looks at this as a minor league swap, I was just indicating the possibility of playing Sakura in the lineup. Now, and I will more confidently say Purry is a good possibility. I think this does mean, as well, the end of Smith's time with Chicago. Plus, a healthy playing Andrew Shaw actually makes the Hawks better too. Back now to the original assessment from prior to the trade, but the statement still holds true, even more so when Segura, who led the team in points per game, has been traded. Honestly, and it's something that was pointed out on Lazen Power's Hawks Podcast, a recent one, so I want to give credit where credit is due, and that's where the credit's due. How few players are graduating to become regular NHLers from Rockford, and that's a concern. They either make the jump right away, like Doc, or they don't make the jump after a year or two with Rockford. Pius Suter, 24 of the Swiss National League, was over a point per game player, and of players, In the Hawks prospect pool, he probably is another name to highlight as having a chance to make the Hawks team for the upcoming year. That's why I want an NHL player in return for Saad, but at half the salary cost. It gives you a working top six lineup for not one, but two years with this group, except Beno, who would be an unrestricted free agent next summer. However, sawed at twice the cap hit would have been preferable. He also would have been an unrestricted free agent next summer. However, you would have the year to determine whether you would keep Deneau or trade him at the deadline knowing how the younger player's growth has continued and how competitive the whole team was next season. Thus, as Taves, Kane, Keith, and Crawford, if he has the three-year deal like I want to give him in the final year, the organization may have the cap room to add a piece and take one last real run as the talented youth have developed to really make this team more of a sleeper threat. I like this Hawks team. I'm not saying it is among the cup contenders anymore, but because of the organization, always retools instead of busting it up completely. Well, this middle of the pack without high-level, entry-level contract players overachieving is where you end up. If we were to break up Dave's Kane and Keith, the return would be amazing on any three of those guys. I just did podcast saying how both Minnesota and Winnipeg are looking for either a top line or second line center. How does Taves fit that mode? And they could easily work their team's salary caps to bring a player like that in. If you paired Taves and Keith and just kept Kane, you could absolutely kickstart a real rebuild. I have tried not to do this because it doesn't seem like GM Stan Bowman is confident in his job at the present, that everything from Chicago market says ownership still wants to win another with the core group. However, it doesn't seem the fans and media are happy being stuck in the middle with the inability to go up the standings that starting the rebuild, at least maybe they could get behind that. I am only now understanding the market's feelings for the idea of a rebuild. Could the team show? It isn't delaying, but getting started make that fan base happier. I'm not entirely sure. Considering the Brinkett is 22 and Doc 19 and there's a flat cap, at least for a couple of years now, there's an argument to be had it might actually be a good time for a rebuild. Let's take, as promised, a look at the draft. For all the Central Division podcasts, I have been working through a mock draft to try and determine one guy each team will take. And a potential backup. To be clear, Chicago has the 17th pick, and up until now, I haven't looked past Nashville at the 11th pick. There are two things I believe realistic. Ottawa, with picks three and five, has said it is open to offers on the fifth pick. Is there a fit for Chicago to send a value player to Ottawa for that pick? And if not, what team gets that pick? Is Ollie Matta a player that could get Chicago that pick? I don't think DeHaan or Murphy on the outside chance would, but I would definitely make that move. But there is a great player to be had at the fifth draft spot in the 2020 draft, and Chicago is a team that needs to get salary off this team. So that is, to me, a good match. It also. Secondly, throws out the idea Ottawa would use their first pick for a center and the second pick, the fifth pick, for a defenseman. However, the correction of how the first 10 to 15 picks go, I really don't expect it to affect who Chicago would get keeping their current draft spot at 17. I think both Arizona, who is worse against the cap, and has no first rounder and chicago would be very wise to take a serious look at ottawa's fifth pick for the purposes of this draft free agency podcast unless a deal occurred prior to it being finally recorded i am going by where chicago is currently set to draft at i have been using a hybrid of tsn bob mckenzie's final draft ranking that is put together by scouts not just by him and also looking at Sportsnet Sam Cosentino's ranking, and I looked positionally or tried to find indicators as to if the GMs weren't just using the best available model, positionally what their preference, although I'm not sure when, if ever in the first rounds, came to part away from the best available player model. It would seem to me, after the surefire top five picks, I would personally be more positionally conscious as an organization on what my needs were, especially given you only have one first-rounder that may be able to address it the quickest. Two names stand out that fall around where Chicago picks, although I have seen some mock drafts, because I've also looked at some of those, that have the two picks but I think it's logical for Chicago to take be off the board before they get the pick one is a defenseman the other a right-handed center so for the purposes of this one i'm actually going to talk about two defensemen as well as two forwards that potentially are going to fall around when chicago's 17th pick is western hockey league defenseman Braden schneider was 17th on mckenzie's list and 18th on cosentino's Mock drafts, like I said, suggest he gets selected prior to the 17th. pick. However, a lot of settermen are jammed into the 10 through 20 spots on the final draft rankings. Another defenseman, Hayden Gooley, was ranked 14th by McKenzie and 13th by Constantino. I think, save for Toronto, because while they are positionally terrible at defense, in fact, I was trying to think of the last true cornerstone defenseman Toronto had and figured that would take too long. Anyways, that's not important. But I get that there are more teams that will look at centers available before Chicago's selection. Therefore, I have seen versions where the Leafs take Gooley and others suggesting they select Schneider. The point of all of this is that I think one of them will be available from the Hawks pick. If not, centerman Seth Jarvis probably will be available if both those defense go before the 17th pick. And that's the type of centerman I see the scouting group of the Chicago Buc- Hawks going for. Therefore, one of those three guys, I believe, will be available and caught on Chicago's list for selecting. I want to lean toward Chicago picking a defenseman. With that pick, and Braden Schneider, if he's on the board, is who I think they will select. The backup pick is actually Gooley, if he fell, or if they're both gone, then the centerman, if both the fencemen were off the board and selected, then my models have Seth Jarvis still on the board. The other interesting one is centerman Connor Zeri, ranked 22nd on McKenzie's list but higher at 16th on Cosentinox. The median of those ranks, Jarvis slightly higher of the two. The right-handed center pool isn't as deep for the Hawks, and left-handed centers are. It's rather top-heavy with center left-wing prospects right now. Basically, if Zari goes higher as some think he might, That could factor into Jarvis also being available at the 17th pick. However, again, I ordered the two defensemen, Braden Schneider or Caden Gooley, as the Hawks' first pick in the 2020 draft, almost dependent on which one of the two the Leafs pick with the 15th overall. And my confidence in Toronto actually not just taking another forward and actually taking a defenseman, it may even be possible that chicago gets their choice between the two of those defensemen because toronto doesn't even take one of them at fifteen finally on the draft if by chance the hawks traded for the fifth pick from ottawa alex lafreniere will go first to the rangers clinton byfield and or tim stutzel will go second or third but they will go second and third That allows for only one more player off the board at four. Most draft models have center Cole Perfetti as that selection, but it could also be defenseman Jamie Drysdale. One of those two would still be available at pick five. Center Marco Rossi and the second highest-rated defenseman, Jake Sanderson, as well as the top-ranked goalie on the best-available model, Gerald Slab Askarov would also all be able to be selected with that pick. That's who you would need to know if Chicago were to make the trade for that pick. That is something I would try and do for sure. Final analysis needs. Goaltenders. How can you get Corey Crawford under a contract for two to three years on a team-friendly deal? And his play suggests his team discount shouldn't be half of what he was paid. To play for on his last deal. What his deal looks like will determine how it affects the rest of the decisions. I still like a $4 million per two- to three-year deal. I think the Hawks don't make a qualifying offer to Malcolm Subban. There's no money, and they give Colin Delia the backup opportunity. At $5 million for that duel, it will be the lowest spent on goaltending in the Central Division but at least have a two-time Stanley Cup winner as a starter. Without Crawford, the uncertainty of who could be acquired, I would have to feel would be a major step back. The goaltending position is too key to allow that. Finally, Sportsnet Elliott Friedman said in Saturday Night Headlines, right as I'm getting to the very end of this podcast, Matt Murray is a guy they are considering trading for. That is. Chicago's considering training for. He is a restricted free agent currently making three point seven five million. If that doesn't confirm my thinking of four million. But I also would expect his next contract to be five million or more. That's gonna be difficult with this cap structure in Chicago. Again, let's get Crawford signed four million per defense. A lot of talk out of Chicago on having to trade Olimata. I don't think that is the right move. I would in my model move to Hahn and Murphy for fixed prospects. However, for the fifth pick, I probably would move Olimata to Ottawa. But I realize that for any of those moves, and you need to get two of them off of here, it can't be for another NHL defenseman under contract. This team can't take salary on the defense, and the bottom pairing will have to be entry level contract guys or guys with contracts that are comparable to what entry level contract guys make. I would find a space and sign restricted free agents Slater. Cuckoo. That's a priority because I see him playing in the top four, and I also think it's a deal that won't break the bank on this team. For the forwards, trading Ben and for a right winger center that can play in the top six for half the contract cost is what I want to do. I think Philip Deneau fits that mold. Moving Zach Smith for futures and either keeping Andrew Saw or doing the same moving him for futures, whatever the market value limit is, Chicago needs to do that to bring back for sure Dominique Kubelik and Dylan Strome. Drake Kajula, if I could fit it under the cap, but he may also be a cap crunch casualty. It may be a choice between Andrew Shaw or Drake Kajula. Honestly, my biggest worry is he asked by Kuba Leak and a potential holdup by him. So I was trying in this team model to have the money to cover at least a bridge deal for Kuba Leak and get Strome a qualifying offer that's just under $2 million per that I think is a respectable third-line center value, which is where I had him slotted in. Last thoughts. All of these draft free agency team podcasts for the Central Division have been fun to do. When teams have cap space, you think of players to add to make a team better or address a need to put them into that championship category. It isn't as fun when you look at a team that is locked up near the cap without many options but to let proven NHL guys go to be cap compliant. I'm sure you heard how Winnipeg had a change over at defense to work deals for restricted free agents Kyle Connor and Patrick Line last year. This year, Line is in trade rumors to address finding a top pair right-handed defensemen. Likewise, Dominique League's deal and getting a quality goaltender means there has to be some contract shed from this roster, and the Hawks don't have a big group of prospects looking to be on the verge to make this lineup. But you will need a few spots from them in bottom pairing defense group and fourth line roles to be cap compliant. You can't compete In the NHL with average goaltending. It's a requirement. And why rightfully so, how things work out or don't work out with Corey Crawford, or who could be found if they don't, really is the focus in Chicago. It's just too important a position. Right now, this roster could theoretically be at zero spent on next year's goaltending, or you could look at it as one million spent with Colin Bellia penciled in as your backup you still need a starter and retaining your two-time Stanley Cup championship guy to me is the right choice and I would make the necessary subtraction positionally to maintain that vital piece all that said I don't envy GM Stan Bowman and I like the core and the top six that clearly I can't keep together nor an overpaid defensive group I don't know how he plans to fix it, but he did create it, and it was certainly the most challenging one this year to make sense of. I mean, if you listen to the Arizona one, I merely highlight which older players to salary dump, then trade away the core. What is coming out sounds to me the opposite of what GM Stan Bowman plans with Chicago, and that is the Coyotes are going to blow up the keys to their roster. Either way, it makes for some interesting days ahead for both these teams. And likewise, that cap crunch makes me want one of them to trade Soury to Ottawa for that fifth pick. Chicago has, for the core group, sacrificed some talented players like Artemi Panarin in the last few years, while being around the playoff bubble in the standing in recent years. That's a hard sell, and if indeed GM Stan Bowman is on the hot seat, That's not good because he needs to think not just a year at a time, but several to retool, but not get so locked in as the team is right now with the salary cap. Honestly, there were several times where I wanted to say, here's a team to trade Jonathan Taves to start a rebuild because this is a mess. I did try to keep the core intact like word is Bowman is trying to do. I hope he has a plan, and it may not look like mine at all, but it's making a lot of tough decisions on personnel most GMs would not want to have to make. They aren't situated worse or better than Minnesota when at Nashville or Arizona, but who corrects each of their team's respective issues first, it is going to be interesting to see. I have more faith in Jim Stan Bowman, I realize, than the majority of fans and media in the Chicago market do this offseason. Maybe my optimism is overvalued, or maybe the Chicago fans' media is undervalued on Bowman fixing this. We both can't be right, and it's still Jim Bowman's job to fix. Thanks for listening to the Chicago Blackhawks 2020 Draft and Free Agency Team Podcast. Next up in the series will be the soon-to-be-added to to the Central Division Arizona Coyotes when the Seattle Kraken expansion team joins the NHL following the upcoming 2021 season. If Arizona hadn't traded away their pick to New Jersey, they would have technically drafted right after Chicago. Well, there was the forfeiting of picks punishment for illegally testing draft-eligible players. Was to say they weren't drafting for one reason or another but that is the next podcast this is central division hockey the podcast once again i'm your host tim bigelow as we go here is another clip from the track used to open all of the draft free agency podcast editions titled acid trash by winnipeg house electronic group map from their grant avenue ep that can be found on spotify apple Music or wherever you stream your favorite music on.